You're listening to Book, Line, and Sinker, a podcast from the Marble Falls Public Library. I'm your host, Iona, and today I'm going to be interviewing Ken Roberts, author of The Cedar Choppers. Enjoy! Thank you so much for being here, Ken. It's a pleasure, Iona. Great. So, your book, The Cedar Choppers, was fantastic. I really enjoyed reading it. It was like, I love the stories, um, especially the introduction, how you talked about how you got kind of interested in the cedar choppers. So what made you want to do in-depth research on them? I just really wanted to figure out who are these people. That was the question that I asked at the very first of the book (laughs) when I was a kid. And from then on, my antenna were up and I was just kind of you know, I went to school with some cedar choppers, and they were just so different than the West Austin kids, and I kind of wondered, you know, how they got there and what happened to them. Yeah, so who are the cedar choppers? Well, they're the they're people who cut cedar posts uh, in the 19, principally in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, mm-hmm. uh, before steel posts came in for, for barbed wire fencing. So these posts were shipped all over the United States, all particularly the West. So they are the posts that hung the wire that fits the West. Okay. So in your book, they talk, you talked about how they're kind of mobile and they moved as the cedar moved around, but they seem kind of linked to the hill country. Why do you think they kind of stayed here? Right. Well, they're, they were Appalachian hillbillies, if you will, Scots-Irish, and uh, they always moved. They weren't farmers. So they didn't really improve the land. They just kind of hunted and fished and grew a little corn for their animals. And that kind of wore out the land pretty quickly and they kept moving. They moved down the Appalachians and they moved to the Ozarks and then they moved to the hill country of Texas. And all of these people have, all of this land has in common is that um, it's got game, it's got good water, it's got wood. Uh, You can subsist without digging a well and so they got to the hill country of Texas, and they really couldn't go any further. I mean, the, and so this was their home, and they stayed here from the late 1800s uh, all the on. Mm-hmm. I say I was talking to one of my friends, and he's from Llano, and he remembers as a kid being like, "Oh, those Burnet cedar choppers! <laughs> like uh-huh. they were different from the ones near Llano." Exactly right. No, Burnet had a reputation of having a lot of cedar trees. So did Marble Falls. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The cover of the book is from a lady that lives in Marble Falls. Oh, it's okay. Her parents. Oh. Yeah. That I noticed. There's a lot of um, the stories, and you on the photographs there were. Um, you would say like, oh, this was a family's photograph. From uh-huh, right. They were fun to look at. What did the work of a cedar chopper look like? You mentioned in your book that they really, it was hard work. It was a hard life. It was really hard work. I mean, they cut cedar with an ax, um, really, really sharp ax. So that was dangerous in the first place. So the cedar post is going to typically be about four inches at the top. And they could cut through one of those things with four or five licks of this ax. They could cut anywhere from 150 to 250 or 300 posts a day. And that would be they'd start early in the morning, they'd finish up a little bit after noon, they'd load those posts up, which is just some of the hardest work is just getting it out of the cedar breaks, and they'd take them into the cedar yards, and they'd do that day after day. There was a part, was it, where they could cut a cedar, like, 
per minute. It was like one every right. 60 seconds or something like exactly. that. Exactly. <laughs> they were really fast at first. Yeah, but it's tough work. It's tough work. And therefore, they were really strong and really in super shape. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there is that story where the kid, the the dad was bragging about his son being he wasn't that tall, but he was all muscle. Right, all muscle. Right. <laughs> what intrigued me the most about the cedar choppers was the life that they lived and what it looked like. And you write that they were making more money than a lot of the other laborers in Texas. Yet it contrasts with their image as hillbillies. Right. Why do you think they chose kind of to live that way? That is, you know, it's just a great question. And it's one of the questions that I was sort of most interested in because when I found out that they were making 20 to $25 a day when there really weren't that many jobs in the hill country, one of the jobs is working for the quarries. You know, there's quarries all around and they were paying a dollar an hour, eight dollars a day. You could go out. And so you would think that then, if they made all this money, well, why did they live in shacks sometimes, or even in tents? And, yeah. You know, and and uh, it's just a, it's sort of an enduring question, and it really kind of gets to their personality, and and they saw no reason to to work to accumulate property. That wasn't who they were. They were fiercely independent. They loved their their free time. They love to have fun. They spent money on things that were frivolous from our <laughs> perspective, you know? And and so even when we asked the question, why didn't they use the money to improve their lifestyle, even just by asking that question, we're setting up our lifestyle as the ideal lifestyle, you yeah. know? And they just rejected that lifestyle completely. So what kind of things did they spend their money on? Oh, well... One guy bought a saddle and didn't have a horse. Uh, <laughs> several guys bought watches and they couldn't tell time. Uh, one guy bought his son's brand new Corvair, brand new Mustang. I mean, and, uh, you know, just things that they enjoyed. It's so intriguing. And looking at the pictures when you read the book, I mean, they did live in shacks, like, and no floor, no electricity, and... It just kind of blows my mind that they could have afforded that, but they just didn't care. <laughs> yeah, they could have afforded it if they worked every day, you mm -hmm. know, for five days a week, six days a week. Because if you're working at the quarry, you're going to work a 40-hour week. Mm -hmm. So they may say, well, I need $100 to do X with. And so they may work, you know, the days it took to get the $100 and then not work for a week. Okay. You know, they could just walk away. They didn't have a boss, you know, and they could sell their cedar anyway. So they... In, they were the most independent men in America at that time. Oh, that is wow. my theory now. Yeah. They didn't uh, have a boss, right? And they, nobody could tell them what to do. And they didn't have any competition because no. no one wanted to work those No one jobs. wanted to work that hard, right? And to live like that, to work in the breaks. I mean, you can imagine, it's not just hard work. I mean, if you're from the whole country, you know what the cedar break is like hot and the cedar sap gets on you and then it attracts dirt so you're filthy all the time. So it's there's a lot more to it. It's not sort of a nasty job. I said cedar pollen yes. knocks me out. <laughs> just, right. just the I'm, pollen. <laughs> I mean, try scorpions and rattlesnakes and other stuff that's running around in, in the brush, you know? <laughs> Stickers and, you know? Yeah. So since a lot of the history is kind of told through stories and interviews that you did, what was some of your favorite interview moments? Kind oh, of exploring wow. That's this a great community? question. Yeah. I would guess that my favorite interview moment, because I just drove by this guy's place. He passed away a, a couple of years ago. 
was this old man, a Burnett County guy, uh, called Simon Ratliff. And um, he was in his 80s when I interviewed him. And he was just sharp as a tack. I don't even know if he was literate. He told stories, and all these stories, by the way, are available on tape. And I have a website called thecedarchoppers.com where you can literally go and listen to this guy. And he's got this this voice from the past, and he's he, he tells his stories like he was there at the time. And he'll say, and then Daddy said, and then my brother said to him, and then I said to him, and then Daddy said, it just... It's uh, it's like reading a book, you know. It's just <laughs> yeah. phenomenal, you know. Yeah. That it's an oral history tradition that they had, and they told their stories, you know, at night, and they sang songs, they told stories, and uh, things like that. Did their kids go to school or have any kind of schooling? Yeah, some did. I mean, they sort of respected education in some ways. The girls tended to go to school more than the boys, but a, a boy at, or even a girl at. 10 to 12 years old was a, a very valuable worker. So you could get the whole family out in the break and the dad could be, say, cutting the cedar trees down and maybe his wife or his sons and daughters could be trimming the little branches off those trees or loading them on the trucks. So they there was what we call an economic and opportunity cost. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go to school, you're giving up, you know, $15 a day that your son could be making for you. Yeah. Did women kind of participate Absolutely. in the cedar chopping? Absolutely. Oh, awesome. Yeah, there were some women that were, one gravestone says, uh, the, the name of the man and the woman, and says, the best cedar choppers. <laughs> she can chop as much as him. And because they were working with these sharp axes all the time, you know, if one slipped and it went into your foot, well, you'd be off out of work for quite a while. And so the wife might have to do that, or they drove truck a lot. They, they hauled rocks and stuff like that and so yeah it was the whole family was participating these women were tough very tough and of course they had lots of kids so they were tough in that way too yeah so one family had like 11 kids oh yeah that's not at all unusual (laughs) first kid before 16 you know was it a kind of tight-knit community where families kind of married off their kids to the other cedar choppers or was there people kind of joining in as the profession very no it was tight-knit okay Um, they lived along the creeks. They got their water from creeks for the most part. So uh, I'm even here at Marble Falls. I interviewed a guy named Charlie Moffin that lives just right down in that low part where a little creek runs through. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, because transportation was a problem back in the early part of the 20th century, um, going into Austin would take hours, for instance, or going into some town. So they tended to meet and marry people that were in their clans. And even when there were other people like west of Austin in the hills, somewhere back in the 1950s, professionals, other people started moving out. And there'd be carpenters and people out there that weren't cedar choppers, but you don't see them intermarrying with the cedar choppers. Now, that could be part of them resisting letting their children marry cedar choppers. For mm-hmm. instance, John Hoover, a famous name in Burnett, Texas, and uh, so Hoover Boulevard I just passed on the way to Marble Falls. Um, I was, everybody was really poor in the 1940s in the country. Everybody was just dirt poor. But, so I said that to John Hoover, and I said, so John, if, was there mixing going on between, he was a ranching family. I said, did the ranchers, well, how would you feel if your daughter had wanted to marry a cedar chopper? 
And he said, well, I'd have to grip my teeth on that one. (laughs) (laughs) And that's a pretty common attitude. I talked to another woman, this is a friend of mine, that, you know, in all these, Liberty Hill, Burnett, Georgetown, Marble Falls, all these Hill Country towns, even Georgetown, uh, there would be cedar choppers in the schools, particularly elementary school. They often drop out after elementary school. And one of the women... There was a boy named Billy Johns, I think it was, or something like that. And he was real cute back in the second grade. And she came back and, and wrote on the outside of the bar, and I love Billy Johns. And her <laughs> daddy said, honey, honey you, you ain't eating until you get that off of that bar. <laughs> That's so great. So did their profession kind of just die out with the introduction of steel? Yes, okay. exactly. The, the, the steel fence posts could be driven into the ground with one of those heavy things, you know, so you didn't have to dig a hole. The digging of the hole was the big deal. So that was the big thing. The other thing was just the hill country became valuable. You know, the land became yeah. valuable. So they often didn't own their land. They were just sort of living out on, you know, squatting on the land, so to speak, or had lost their land. And, um, so they, yeah, they just uh, became something else. They became all sorts of things. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. I'm not from the Hill Country, but when I talk to my friends that grew up here, their families grew up here, this name Cedar Choppers is still kind of used as a slang word to put down it people. Is. And that reputation has kind of 50 years later still yes. goes on with, I mean, my friends in their 30s who didn't, grow up with cedar choppers, right. but they uh, called people that. It's <laughs> yeah. a derogatory term. It was a derogatory term. Um, back in the 1940s, I got into old newspaper articles, uh, if a white person committed a crime, they wouldn't say anything. They'd, they'd say, you know, robbery occurred at so-and-so, so-and-so. But if a African-American or a Mexican-American committed a crime, they would say Mexican robbed store. And they would label it. Mm-hmm. They weren't comfortable not labeling cedar choppers as something different than white people. They would call them, early on, they'd call them mountaineers. They'd call them hillbillies or hillbilly moonshiners. Anything to sort of differentiate them from average folk, right? And so when they came on the name cedar chopper in the 1950s, that stuck. That was a way. And they literally started saying in the newspaper, cedar chopper apprehended. Cedar chopper you know, does this or does that to say, this isn't an average white person. This is a cedar child. Well, there, it's a very interesting uh, kind of story and history and group of people. I think they really love their life, though. It seems like through your interviews, they just, they enjoyed it. <laughs> they did. The guys that I talked to, and they had the run of the Hill Country. They had the run of the prettiest parts of the Hill Country, if you will, like Morgan Creek out here near, near Marble Falls or Barton Creek or Bull Creek, which is this incredible water. They could go swimming, they could go fishing, they could go hunting. Uh, so if they didn't work every day, and they didn't, you know, they, they just, they looked back on their life as kids and said, I wish I could go back there. I wish mm-hmm. I could do that again, you know. As in, yeah, the, the hill country is a beautiful, kind of one-of-a-kind place. You know, it, it is. And it, you moved here from somewhere else. Yeah, I moved from, I was lived in Fort Worth most of my life, then I lived in Corpus for a bit, and then here, yeah. so. I well, I really actually, I grew up here, and I live on a ranch up near Liberty Hill with a creek running through it, and lived there for 45 years, love it, and uh, 
I really sort of consider there's three characters in this book. There's the cedar choppers, the, the city people who were appalled by them, and there's the hill country. It's almost like a separate entity in the book. I mean, I, I try to elevate and say, why did they stay? They stayed because they loved it. They stayed because they'd been here for generations, you know. Yeah. When everybody else left, went into the army in the 50s, 40s, and, and uh, went into the cities to work, they didn't want to do that. Well, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Anna. Um, can we get your book for our listeners? Uh, well, it's on Amazon. Uh, that's probably the easiest thing for most folks, but it's also at Barnes and Noble and Target. And um, whenever I come to places like this, I try to bring a few with me too. That's good. And your website where they can hear the interviews? TheCedarChoppers.com. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.